Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you guys are having an amazing weekend so far. Uh, welcome to God Squad Church. My name is Boz. I'm the community care pastor here at God Squad Church, and I have the privilege and um, the honor to be able to sit on the lead team here. And we've been going through Luke still for very, like I say, every single week, several months now we've been going, going through the book of Luke. It's been um, an amazing experience, though. I've never actually preached um, specifically on a series before and continuing on in that series. And so this has been a blessing for me. I hope it's been a blessing for you as well. And uh, we're going to be talking about today, just being stuck at a, a, in, a, in a specific place in life. And we're going to be talking about that in a minute. I don't mean being stuck like you're you're stuck in it and you can't get out of it, but you're stuck and you feel like you can't move forward because you want to move forward. You can kind of think of maybe maybe you've been in a dead-end job before and you, you feel like you're stuck in your job. You feel like you can't move forward in your job unless you get a specific degree or maybe there's just no place to go in it. We're going to be talking a little bit about that, but from a different uh, context, from a different perspective. But first, before we get into that, I want you to put a one in chat if you've played any MMO in your life. And I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be tons of ones coming up in chat because, listen, MMOs are an extremely popular form of game. I know a lot of people play WoW, Final Fantasy XIV. They might play EverQuest. Maybe you play um, RuneScape. Is, yeah, RuneScape is an MMO, no matter how much I might dislike the game it's still an mmo and so lots of people putting ones in the chat once an mmo a massive multiplayer online game um now put a two in the chat put a two in the chat if you've ever played final fantasy 14 before and i'm not talking about that you still playing i'm talking about as long as you have downloaded this game and played like through like level 10 put a two in the chat okay i have played lots of final fantasy 14 it is my go-to mmo and i absolutely love that game but it's no secret to anybody that in any mmo when you're playing the game and you have the gear at the beginning of the game and the gear in the MMO actually changes the look of your character. You generally look like trash at the beginning of the game. Like it, it, it and it's not even like it's bad. It can get really, really bad for specific games. And if you've played Final Fantasy 14 before for more than a few hours, you can probably remember the feeling that you had when you started the game and you looked worse with every gear upgrade. I mean, like once you hit level 30, there's some weird pieces of gear. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's the weirdest thing. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's just Final Fantasy 14, but it is really, really, really weird pieces of gear that you get. And you might even be a little bit embarrassed when you're running around. And so what I want to do right now is we're going to put up a picture on the screen of what it might look like at the beginning of the game and so we're going to put put right now it is up okay you can see this is a very strange picture this dragoon uh it looks like well lancer i should say it looks like he has a padded shirt um it looks like he's got on some you know padded pants as well uh i don't know what kind of socks those are that he's wearing um but it looks like he's got some sort of um hockey gear coming like some some like I don't I, like it looks like maybe it's made of cotton, you know, maybe it's soft or something. And that helmet ain't protecting anything. It looks really, really, really strange. But everyone knows, everyone knows who has played Final Fantasy 14 for a significant amount of time about the real, 
the real end game content. Okay. I'm not talking about the raids. I'm not talking about the savage fights. I'm not even talking about the ultimate fights. Okay. If you've ever played Final Fantasy 14, you know what the end game content is. It's all about the glam. It's all about the glamour that you get. You're trying to find all the and find all the different things. But if you stay with the game and you keep up with the updates and you continue to work at it, eventually, we're going to put up another picture right now, eventually, you're going to look like this. This Dragoon, he, this is from the 6.2 patch, okay? I thought the 6.2 patch had some pretty cool stuff, but you can see he's got some flair. He's got some glam. He's got uh, that circle thing on the back is really weird, but he's got fire coming out of his horns, you know what I mean? And, and, his, and his spears lighting up when it's out. It's absolutely amazing. You know, he looks great. And so when you're running around with that beginning piece of gear and you see somebody run past you with this, you're like, man, I really wish I could get there. I really wish I had this piece of gear because I look like trash, but that, that looks pretty cool. And even though this isn't really the best example of what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about a pretty famous passage in the book of Luke that's also in Matthew and Mark, and it's called the Transfiguration. And so today we're going to start off in Luke chapter 9. Um, and so what I want you to put in the chat right now, okay, because we, if, you, if you've heard of the Transfiguration before and you've read this story, you know that Jesus, he's got some glam. So put Jesus got glam in the chat because he does. He got some glam during this story specifically. <laughs> There's some pretty crazy things that are going on. And so Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 31. And it says this, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, remember that, as he was praying, he took them up to the mountain to pray as he was praying. That's very important. The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So Jesus has this big conversation with his disciples about a week previous, eight days previous. He's praying, he's praying in private. Then, in the context of prayer that he's praying, he asks his disciples who the people say he is. Peter then confesses Jesus as the Messiah, and then Jesus tells them to tell nobody about this conversation that they just had. After this conversation, he continues to tell them that he's going to be killed. He tells them that he's going to be, he's going to be executed, and, and, and then he tells his disciples that they need to take up their cross. We talked about this last week. We talked about what that meant. We talked about the fact that the disciples understood what it meant to take up a cross, that nobody did it for, for fun, but when you took up your cross, you were literally walking to your death. You were carrying the thing that would torture you and that would eventually kill you as well. And about a week later, Jesus takes his inner circle, all right? Jesus has his disciples. He's got his 12 disciples. But then he's got like these three people. They're there for the really big experiences of things. They're like the three that he takes in on certain occasions. And so he takes James, John, and Peter up a mountain to pray. And as Jesus is praying, something amazing takes place. You see, Jesus' appearance, it completely changes. His face changes, and it, say, it says that his clothes became dazzling white. I mean, I don't 
think I've ever used a word in a sentence other than talking about this dazzling before, but it became dazzling white. Other translations might say white and gleaming or bright as a flash of lightning. But no matter how it's said, it is an amazing sight, and Jesus has some glamour going on at this moment. The other amazing thing that we can't ignore is that there's two people that shouldn't be in the conversation right now, but they are. And so Moses and Elijah appear on the scene, and they're talking with Jesus. But the thing is, is Moses and Elijah represent something. I think they represent two things, but we're going to talk about one thing that they do represent. The, I, I, the, Moses, he represents the law. He represents really what the Israelites have been living by for thousands and thousands of years at this point. That's what they held on to. Elijah, on the other hand, he represents the Old Testament prophets. Prophets were those who would proclaim to Israel or a group of people what God was speaking to them, normally concerning future events or, or, or things that would eventually take place. A lot of times they would, they would be prophesying actually about the Messiah, who the Messiah is, what that's going to look like when he comes. But the important thing to remember is that these two individuals had a huge place, a huge place in the history of Israel. If you talk about Moses and Elijah, if, and, and you were you lived in this day and age, and you were Jewish, you know you knew exactly what they represented, and you knew exactly who they were because you probably were talked about it and taught about them as you were growing up. Every single day, you probably hear those names in your house. There were the two that represented everything that Israel held on to for thousands of years. Like I said, living by the law, and two, talking about the prophets talking about specifically that there was a promise that God had said that the Messiah would eventually arrive. And finally, we get a glimpse about what Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, what they're talking about. Talking about Jesus' departure. Another uh, translation would, I, I guess it's not another translation, but a better way to say this and a better way to translate it would be the exodus of Jesus. His death that's going to take place soon in Jerusalem. I always wondered what it would be like to listen to this conversation and to hear what was actually being said between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Like Moses is the one, he, he, he's from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy, right? And he doesn't even make it into the promised lands for, for uh, the promised land for a specific reason, but he gets to see it. And the thing is, <laughs> he, he leads the Israelites throughout, uh, it, throughout all of um, the, the wilderness for 40 years. And eventually, Eventually, they, they don't make it. Well, he, they make it there, but Moses doesn't get to. But I'm wondering what he's saying to Jesus that while he, when Jesus is talking about his death, like, oh, you don't, I don't know if you want to go through with this. I don't know if you, these people, have you seen these people? Have you been with them for 40 years in the wilderness? It's not the, maybe it's not the best idea. Or Elijah saying, hey, listen, I was, I was pursued by somebody, this, this lady named Jezebel. And listen, she put me in a really bad state of mind. It was not good. The persecution was horrible. Do you understand actually what you're about to do? Do you understand what you're going to – like I always wondered what this conversation was like. Like what is Jesus talking about with them, and what are they thinking as Jesus is telling them, hey, this is what my plan is for all of humanity. But it's important to note that Jesus recently told his disciples to follow him 
and to follow him spiritually. It would have been easy for the disciples at this point, I think, to abandon Jesus. You see, Jesus, they've been following him for a few years now. They've seen some miracles that he's done. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal the lame. He's seen them him heal the blind and, and open deaf ears. But then he tells them, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be persecuted and I'm gonna be killed. I would think it would be a little bit easier for them to lose faith in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. I think it would be a little bit easier for them to understand at this point that mm, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't all that we thought it was going to be. But through this event, Jesus shows his glory as the Messiah and the true King. And so what I want you to put in chat right now, I like doing this. I want you to ask yourself this and put it in chat. What am I holding on to? What am I holding on to? Have you ever felt stuck in your life in anything at all? This can mean many things. It can mean stuck in your job, like I said before. It can be stuck in your position. It can be stuck in a situation that's in your life. It can be stuck in a relationship that you're in. Or the one that we're going to talk about, stuck in your relationship with Jesus. And I don't mean stuck like I can't get out of this relationship. I mean stuck like I can't move forward in this relationship. It feels dry. It feels empty. Every time that I'm trying to move forward in my relationship, it doesn't feel like I can move forward at all. You don't feel any movement from where, where wherever you are in that relationship. And there can be various reasons for this, but what I want to do today is I want to put out two things out there that will help you move forward if you feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus right now to help you be able to pursue him a little bit more. And so let's continue reading on in Luke chapter 9, verses 32 and 33. And it says this, Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. Peter, James, and John. Oh, what can I say about them? Luke tells us that Jesus takes them up to a mountain, and what do they do? To pray, specifically, they fall asleep. <laughs> they fall asleep. Now, this isn't the only time in the Bible that we see this. We do see this with the disciples as well in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus tells them to pray, and he goes away. He comes back. They're falling asleep. Tells them to pray. He goes away. He comes back. They're falling asleep again, and it's right before his arrest. So this has happened. This 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 will happen again. It's not the first thing that uh, first time that this has happened. But the one thing that I do want to uh, you know put out there, we don't know what time of day it is. We're, we we know that humans um, they have their weaknesses, right? So we don't know what time of day it is. Uh, did God put them to sleep? We're not too sure about that. Or did they just fall asleep on their own? I would probably think they fell asleep on their own, but who knows? Okay, we don't really know. But when they wake up. They see two amazing things. They see Jesus and all of his glam, and they see Moses and Elijah. And Peter 
always being the one putting his foot in his mouth uh every time that he said <laughs> it seems like it seems like most of the time when he says things he, he's like he's like why are the words coming out have you ever been in that moment like i know what i'm saying and i know it's coming out wrong but why do we continue talking <laughs> i've been there multiple times in my life and so peter always being the one putting his foot in his mouth he says he wants to put up three shelters other translations will say tabernacles and he wants to put up one for moses one for elijah and one for jesus bc Peter realizes something here. He sees Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. And as they're leaving, Peter doesn't want this, he doesn't want this experience to end. It's comfortable for him. He wants to hold on to the law. He wants to hold on to the prophets of old. And he wants to hold on to Jesus as well. He's comfortable with it. He's trying to hold on to all three things but he didn't understand what Jesus had come to do. He didn't fully understand yet what the whole entire meaning behind Jesus was. He's just trying to hold on to what is comfortable for him and not looking to what Jesus has in store for him. So my question for you right now is, are you holding on to something today that's holding you back from growing in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're holding on to controlling things in your life. As humans, we like to control things. I like to control things. When something seems like it needs to happen, I want to control it. I don't want anybody else to control it. So I hold on to controlling things in my life sometimes. Do you hold on to controlling things in your life? Or are you holding on to a grudge or unforgiveness again, uh, towards someone? I, I could never forgive them for what they did. There's no possible way I could forgive them, but the Lord tells us to forgive. Are you holding on to a grudge or unforgiveness? Are you holding on to what you're comfortable with? You don't want to step out of the boat. You don't want to step out of your comfort zone, but I'm going to stay right here where I'm nice and comfy in my DX racer, in my house. I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere because it's too uncomfortable to do whatever it is. Maybe you're holding on to a relationship that you know is drawing you away from Jesus. This is a big one. A lot of times there's relationships out there. I'm not just talking about with a significant other, but it could be that. It could, be, uh, it could also be uh, friends or the people group that you hang out with. Drawing you away from Jesus, and you're holding on to those relationships for one reason or another. Maybe you're holding on to a sin that you won't let go of. And listen, we're all human, okay? We all struggle with sin. Temptation is out there, and we all struggle with it. And I think there is a difference with struggling with a sin and trying to break free from it and the person who's just freely going into it. Not feeling the conviction of, of, and the consequences of the action that you're, that, of, of whatever the action or the sin is that you're partaking in. Are you holding on to a sin in your life that you won't let go of? See, all these things are going to distract you. They're going to distract you from what God is trying to do in your life. Distracting you from keeping your eyes on Jesus and continuing to follow him. And what you need to let go, what, so what, what do you need to let go of in your life right now to allow God to move in your life and allow you to pursue him as you continue to deep, go deeper in your relationship with him? 
That's the first thing that I think will help us to continue to pursue Jesus and have a better relationship with him. But there's a second thing that I said that will help you to draw closer to Jesus. And I think that this is just one of the most important things that as Christians, a lot of times we just miss out on. We miss out on this so much. We might even do it, but I think that we miss out on it a lot. And so I want you to put in chat, prayer changes everything. And mean it when you put it in chat. Prayer changes everything. It really does. I think today that it, listen, I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty of this too in times of my in times of my life to allow prayer to be very dry, to be empty. Prayer sometimes has turned into merely just speaking words to God and 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 praying for requests to God and and that's it. Hoping, hoping that God might answer, that he might hear us, that he might respond to us in some way, shape, or form. We spend some time in prayer, and then when we're done, there's no changes in our daily life. There's nothing that we felt, and we just walk away from it completely unchanged. Or sometimes maybe you don't spend any time in prayer at all. You don't even try to pray. But this is not what prayer is meant to be. It's not meant to be a dry experience. It's not meant to be something that where, where we walk away from it completely unchanged. We see throughout the, Bi the Bible how powerful prayer can be. And just look at the book of Luke and even the things that we've been studying as of late and uh, as of late and what we're studying currently right now. We see dramatic things happening when Jesus prays. Okay. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus during his baptism. But you know what Jesus is doing in that moment? If you go back to it, he's praying. Jesus selects the 12 disciples. He's got all these disciples that are following him. And then what does he do? For an entire night, he prays. And then the next morning, he goes and selects 12, the 12 disciples that would be the 12 that would follow him. Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, like I talked about before, in the context of prayer. Jesus is praying, and then he asks the disciples, who do the people say I am? And G Peter confesses him as the Messiah. It's an amazing moment. Jesus prays in the gardens of Gethsemane before his arrest as well. And he also prays while he's on the cross. And you might think, yeah, that's when Jesus is praying. You see, obviously it's different from him. He's the son of God. He is God. So it's obviously different when he prays, right? But here's the thing. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, he also wrote another book, which is called the book of Acts, okay? And in it, he puts an emphasis of prayer on prayer in the book of Acts as well. A centurion named Cornelius, when he prays, an angel is sent to him, and he's chosen to essentially be the first Gentile Christian. Paul and Silas, they're freed from prison. Guess what they're doing? They're praying. They were put in prison. They got the shackles on them. It doesn't make any sense. An earthquake comes, but they were praying. And then finally, Paul experiences a personal encounter with Jesus, who's already died and who's already rose from the dead. But what was Paul doing? He was praying. Prayer is so, so powerful. But I think sometimes we feel stuck in a relationship with God because we don't understand the power of prayer. I want to reread for you what we read before, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 29. 
It says about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, an appear the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. You see, I said that Matthew and Mark also has the transfiguration in those books as well, and it does, but it doesn't mention anything about prayer. There's a reason why Luke continues to emphasize over and over and over about prayer. It is powerful. Things happen. Things can happen. Change can happen when you pray. It's while he's praying. Prayer changes everything. And I'm not saying that every single time you pray that you should expect this mountaintop transfiguration-like type of experience. I'm not saying that. But understanding the, exa the examples that I just gave you about how people experience prayer and even the example in the transfiguration that we're reading about right now, we should seek something higher in prayer other than just speaking some words to God and, and hope that he hears us and answers them and then walk away from our experience and not have had a change in our lives, not have an experience with God. Prayer should be something so much more and something so much different. And so what my question for you today is, what does your prayer life look like? Truly, what does your prayer life look like? Do you expect when you go into prayer, do you expect God to do amazing things in your life? Do, do you seek his powerful presence when you get down on your hands and knees and pray? Or does it just look like some requests that you ask for and you don't really feel any, any anything when you pray? Like I said before, prayer should be so much more than just that. We're going to continue on Luke chapter 9, verses 34 through 36. It says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. That's Peter, James, and John that are entering into the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Matthew and Mark both say that Jesus actually told them not to tell anybody. So they don't go, they don't go and they don't tell anybody about what they've seen until after he's crucified. To close out the message today, I want to point out something that's really important from these verses. You see, Peter seeks to give shelter to Elijah, to Moses and Jesus, as we talked about before. What Peter did in this mo moment was he was giving all three of them an equal amount of importance. Was Moses important to God's plan? Absolutely. He certainly was. Was Elijah important to God's plan? Yes, definitely. Very, very important. But compared to Jesus the Messiah, both Moses and Elijah are insignificant. There's, there, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that makes them in any way, shape, or form comparable to Jesus, the Son of God. So when Peter hears the voice of God speak to him, he's told to listen to, to Jesus, the Son of God. I was at a church planting training probably over a decade ago now, and I remember the person, somebody, somebody got up and was speaking about prayer, and he said, you know, sometimes when we pray, we just need to shut up. 
And at the time, I don't think I understood it fully what he was saying, but as he continued speaking about it, I got to under, like understand a little bit more that when I pray, a lot of times I just start praying and I just start speaking and I don't give any room for the presence of God to actually sit in. I don't have, I don't give any room for God to actually speak to me a lot of the times. And so sometimes we just need to sit and be in his presence. We need to allow God to move in our lives when we're praying, expecting that God's going to do something amazing, that God's going to speak to us. And let me tell you, when you do start to feel his presence, man, you're not going to want to stop praying. You're going to want to sit there at his feet forever. It really is an amazing experience. So when the cloud dissipates, Jesus is alone with Elijah. Or yeah, Jesus is alone and Elijah and Moses are gone. All of the focus, it can't be on Elijah. All of the focus that Peter has now, it can't be, can't be on Moses. It can only be on Jesus because he's the only one that's standing there. So my challenge for you is to reflect on some areas of your life right now. Is there something in your life that you feel like you're holding onto that you need to let go of today? These things are distractions when you're trying to focus on Jesus. You're holding on to something, but you're just not willing to let it go, but you know that it's a distraction. Why are you continuing to hold on to it? The second thing is, what does your prayer life look like? Does your prayer life look like just, like I said before, words that you just speak to God and hoping that he's hearing from you? Or do you expect God to do something and you expect that when you come out and you walk out of this prayer, that God's going to do some amazing things or that he does amazing things in while you're praying. Like I said, we gave many examples. God does things during prayer. Prayer changes everything. And finally, where is your focus today? Is your focus on Jesus or are there other things in life that are grabbing your attention, distracting you, and you're placing focus on other areas of your life? We need to continually be focusing on Jesus and setting our eyes upon him. So what changes do you need to make in your life to help you grow in a deeper relationship with him? And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're listening to this message and you're saying, listen, I don't even know who Jesus is. I've never accepted him into my life, but this is the first time that I'm hearing about the gospel and you're telling me that this person can save me. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever know. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead so that all of the things that you've done against him, those burdens can be released. The shame and the guilt that you feel for the things that you've done, the people that you've hurt, all the things that you've done that are sins. He took those upon himself so that you could be saved. And all you need to do is reach out and hold on to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're listening to this today and you've, you've, you've made that decision before, but somewhere down the line, you took a wrong turn and you haven't been close in your relationship with Jesus as of late. And you know that you haven't, you have been feeling very, very distant from him. And you feel like you need to rededicate your, your, your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to rededicate your, your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ to accept him today, what I'm going to ask you to do is repeat a prayer after me, but I want you to know that 
the prayer that you're going to say, it's not praying to me, it's praying to God, but it's not the prayer that saves you. It's Jesus that has saved you. It's Jesus that saves you, okay? The reason why sometimes we lead people into a prayer is because it's something tangible, tangible to be able to hold on to later in life thinking, maybe I didn't actually make that decision. Did, did I've been doing some things wrong in my life, but you can go back and you can remember making that decision, confirming that you are a follower of Jesus, that you gave and surrendered your life to him. I promise you there is nothing more fulfilling. There's not. There's nowhere in this world that you're going to find more life. There's nowhere in this world that you're going to find more hope. It's all about Jesus. And so what I want to give you, like I said, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into your life for the first time or rededicate your life to him right now. So what I would ask you to do is repeat this prayer after me if you would like to do that. Dear God, I come before you right now. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross and I believe that he rose from the dead. And right now, God, I accept your mercy, your grace, and your salvation. I commit my life to you. And Jesus, I ask that you would come and live inside of me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Guys, what an incredible sermon from Pastor Boz. And if you guys encourage that, we're blessed by that, challenged by that, put the hearts in the chat. And I really love how Pastor Boz, um, for a lot of his sermons as of recently, um, has been doing a lot of um, like chat participation. I love that. So we're going to do a little bit of that right now. And so I want each and every one of you, if you have ever had your prayers answered or experienced life transformation through prayer, I want you to put a one in the chat just to encourage other people who might be like, you know what? I don't, I don't think it works. Like, I don't believe that prayer still works. Yeah. Like it worked for the people in the Bible, you know, but like, but like, does it still work though? Yes, it does. And we see the chat spanned with ones right now, you know, and I loved what Pastor Boz said that sometimes when we pray like we don't feel anything we don't experience anything it's not like this like like audible sound from god that we hear but i i want to tell you something continual prayer spending time in god's presence abiding in jesus um, is truly life transforming it is something that over time as we you know develop our relationship with god we will see just how much it transforms our lives and yes god answers prayer he still does incredible works today in and through each and every one of us and so be encouraged be encouraged um and be challenged make sure that each and every one of you are spending time in god's presence daily i know for me it is a night and day difference the days that i start with jesus and the days that i do not <laughs> um, and i think that even that is just a testament to the power that is in spending time with jesus through prayer um, and so i hope you guys enjoyed and we're encouraged challenged by today's sermon and we want to celebrate anyone who may have just given their lives to christ for the first time or maybe just rededicated um, can we spam some hearts and some hypes in the chat 
for anyone who may have just made that decision right now in this moment. Let's just celebrate them. Um, put all the hypes, um, the Jesus hypes, you know, whatever it is that you want to put to celebrate. We want to celebrate you. We also want to walk alongside you in this journey. And so if that was you, I want to encourage you to fill out this form with as much information as you feel comfortable. This is the same form that we share at the beginning of service. This is the catch-all form, okay? And so if you just gave your heart to Jesus or rededicated for the first time, then I want to encourage you to fill this form out. We want to walk alongside you in this journey. We know that, you know, there are a lot of questions, you know. It's something that is meant to be done in fellowship with other believers, you know, strengthening one another, sharpening one another. And so we want to walk alongside you in this new journey that you have just set upon. And so please fill this out and we'll be connecting with you and reaching out to you as soon as possible um, this coming week. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for filling that out. And guys, uh, all of this, all of this is made possible because of your generosity. I want to read to you a verse in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, starting in verse 6. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And guys, it is our privilege to be able to partner with God, worship him, not just with the songs that we sing, you know, as a um, worship music pastor, um, I'll be the first to tell you, worship is not just the songs that we sing. Can I get an amen in the chat? It is so much more. It is our entire lives. Our entire lives are meant to be an act of worship unto God. Every single thing that we do is meant to be an act of worship unto God, including trusting him with our finances. This is a way that we can partner with God so that he can continue um, to work in and through us, through God Squad Church, um, to reach more gamers for Jesus. All of this is made possible because of your generosity. And so I ask you, if you have been blessed, encouraged, challenged, all of the things by God Squad Church, then partner along with us to help us reach more gamers for Jesus. And so there are multiple safe and secure ways for you to give any amount, whether you want to give a one-time donation or a recurring donation, you can type exclamation point give in chat. Um, we also have uh, a panel below that will link you to PayPal. Um, you can give through our website at godsquadchurch.com slash give. Um, or if you live in the United States, you can text any amount to the number 84321. Um, and you can set up some easy text giving through there. And so guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again for your generosity. It is because of your faithfulness and your generosity that we are able to continue to make a difference in gamers lives across the globe. So we thank you for that.